um, maybe tried out the, the waters first, tested it, put down one stone, see what happens, put down two stones, see what happens. Then you, you have the opportunity to change and to pull back, live more aware of reading the signs around you. Um, and then to allow yourself to make a change. You know, I'm going to do this for now until things change. Then I'm maybe going to stop but not make decisions now for the rest of your life because you don't you don't know what's going to happen welcome to women's work leadership conversations for women if you're a woman in leadership then this one's for you Welcome to our third episode of Women's Work. I'm joined today by a friend of mine, Anna M. And she's a fellow South African and also a successful writer. She's written and produced more than 2,000 children's stories in book and audiobook formats. She's also written her autobiography on why storytelling has been healing for her personally and has written 21 contemporary novels for adults and nine books for young readers. She's been in business for 15 years, so I thought it would be great to hear her story of what it's been like. And also, she's one of the most passionate people I know in terms of what she does. So welcome, Anna. It's nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So I wanted to start with a little bit of an introduction. So what first got you started in writing your own books and starting your business 15 years ago yeah you know I've always just wanted to be an author I have a very much one-track mind ever since I was born that's the only thing I can ever remember wanting to do I tried a few other things none of it really worked I went to do teaching um, studied education did that for about four years and then finally I just you know, I kind of gave up and I went into the writing thing and I realized that I had to earn some money. I had to mm. live, you know, you can't just yeah. sit on a sidewalk and write, although that, that would be very, very nice. But yeah, so I, I, I started a business, a publishing company for children's stories and children's books to create a platform for myself to write and mm. to earn an income from my writing. So I basically, I didn't want to go the route of being another publisher's author. Um, I wanted to to earn the money and to give myself the freedom to write. And so I started my own thing. And we started with children's stories because I came from a teaching background. And I had a few stories that I'd written for the kids in class. So we started with that. And I met my husband who had a recording studio. So we recorded the first CD, audio CD with stories on. And there was such a big um, gap in the market at that time in South Africa. There was very few stories available, audio stories for kids. And people just, you know, grabbed onto it and they kept asking for more. And so we made more. And then after about seven or eight years, I lost count at, I think, 2,000 children's stories that I've written and recorded. We had some local celebrities as well who came to record some of our stories. So it was a lot of fun. And then eventually we went into books as well. We started to publish books to um, complete our catalog. And we did that for about seven years as well. 
So it was one big children's story business. Um, and we were quite a big name in South Africa, household name. Um, if you talk to parents, Afrikaans parents, they'll probably know about us. Um, yeah. And that's, that's my story. And then, um, unfortunately, the last three years, the market changed and the economy changed in South Africa. A lot of businesses pulled really hard and um, we had to close the business down this year in March, just before the COVID lockdown. We had to liquidate the business, which was very hard for me and very traumatic. Um, but I spent the past three years actually just in crisis mode every single day, you know, not taking a salary, not taking holiday, just trying to save the business. So, you know, trying to prevent liquidation. And then when that thing finally happens, it's almost, it's a little bit of a relief because it's this very heavy burden that you can finally put down. It doesn't make yeah. it less traumatic or, or sad. But um, I do feel like a burden has been lifted. Yeah. And three years you struggled to try and get the business up and running and, well, being financially viable and being successful. It's quite a long time to carry that burden. Yeah, it's very long. And I remember, like, lately, I'd say the past year, it wasn't fun anymore at all. I would go to bed stressed, wake up stressed. And dreading every email, every phone call, like you can never relax. Every single morning you have to pull a, a rabbit out of a hat <laughs> to just get yeah. some money in for today. And you can never, ever just take a break because you're in crisis mode 24 seven. And it's yeah. exhausting. I, I would remember lying in bed at night, having panic attacks and just crying and telling my husband you know I'm so scared I'm so scared I don't I can't feel like this every single day for the rest of my life I don't know how long I'm still going to be able to to carry this weight he was the one eventually who said well listen I think you have to make a call just talk to the lawyers and I didn't want to I was very upset and I said to him well I'll find the lawyer but I don't want you in on the meeting because I don't want you to influence me and it must be my decision and I need to have peace with it but I think once I spoke to the lawyer it was like I saw there was an opportunity for me to to end this um, yeah. and to do it to do it in a fairly right way, in a legal way. I mean, it's a mess. It's never going to be nice. Yeah. But just having somebody help you and share that burden and help you to close this thing down that you haven't been able to do. It was a, it was a relief. And it's, it's quite hard once you've invested so much into your business mm -hmm. and so much of time and also juggling work and trying to be creative and writing books at the same time mm -hmm. to let go of it. Yeah. So how did, how did that feel? How did that process evolve for you? You know, I think looking back, I can see that there was a, there was a period in the business where the season changed. And um, for the first, I would say, seven to 10 years, it was a lot of fun. And the business was literally expanding every month. We were dabbling sales every year. We were, it was really prosperous and it was doing really well. And um, then it started to go, it started to become a bit harder. But looking back, you know, in hindsight, yeah. I can 
see that the season had changed. And I, because I was with my nose in the business, maybe didn't pick up on, on all the clues telling me, you know, the, the energy that was here, the blessing that was here has started to move. Um, I wasn't so much aware of what was going on around me because I was so swooped up in this business and trying to run it and busy with the day-to-day -day things. Um, yeah, and I think looking back that, that I could maybe have closed the business down earlier, but I think by the time we started to really get into trouble and I started contemplating closing the business, there was just too much debt. So it wasn't an option because I couldn't close the business before I paid all the bills. And then you keep thinking, well, let's just give it another month or it was a bad month, we'll do better next month. And it just, just didn't, it didn't pick up. And it actually yeah. got worse. And um, yeah, and then it, the debt just accumulates and the stress accumulates and then sooner or later you find yourself with this monster and you, you're in a situation where you are the one who's responsible and you are the one who needs to pull the plug. Nobody else is going to do it for you. So it was yeah. very tough. It was a, I grew up very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think you learn the most through failure. I didn't learn anything through success. I just learned how to keep doing the same thing I was doing and also become a bit more arrogant and cocky in the way I'm doing something. Mm. But through success, you learn a lot about yourself. You also learn a lot about the process. And I like what you said about also learning when the season has changed. Mm. So what, what were some of the key lessons for you out of experiencing this failure? I think the first thing that comes to mind right away is that if I ever had to do this again, I wouldn't make it as personal. I, I made the business very personal right from the beginning. It was uh, the brand carried my name. You know, it was Anna M. Publishers. So yeah. that was like, <laughs> that should have told me right in the beginning. <laughs> You're setting yourself up for a big yeah. But the clients were friends, you know, and you build this relationship on or this business on relationships with people and you invest so much of it of yourself in it and for a long time it myself and the business we were the same thing i couldn't see the business ever closing or going away because it was my whole life it was me that became my identity mm. um so I couldn't imagine myself separate from it or, or doing something else. And I think if, if, I, if you look at the way men deal with business, yeah. I always envy these men who can like, you know, scream at each other and then go play golf and everything is... They <laughs> <laughs> can go through these horrible failures and then it, it's like, it's not personal. Like it's business and they walk away and they start again. Because I, I can't imagine doing a business like that. But I think they're onto something, you know. Yeah. We as women, things are so personal for us and it's so emotional and it's all about relationships and we, we feel responsible for people. And, and it's, I had this thing that, you know, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to uplift people and I'm going to give people opportunities and that's that's a very big burden to put on your own shoulder 
And yeah. I think um, if I had to, to ever do this again, I would keep my distance from the business and tell myself before I start that I'm going to do this thing, but it's going to be a business and it's going to be one of the things that I do. Um, it's going to be my job. I'm going to do it authentically and I'm going to do it best I can, but it's going to be a job. It's not going to be my life, my whole life anymore. It's not going to be my identity. Yeah. Um, because I think I would have made better business decisions if I had that objectivity. If I wasn't so involved, I would have closed the business sooner. I would have let people go sooner. Um, I would have made different decisions if it wasn't so personal and probably better decisions. Yeah. It's interesting because I read a book quite a few years ago and I thought this was a really profound way of explaining the difference between men and women. And it was quite a funny title. Uh, men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> I can <tell> and, I, <laughs> and for me, there was a great visual in my mind because I don't know about you, but for me, everything is connected. And I find it similar with a lot of women where everything is connected. Whereas men with the waffles, you pour syrup and it kind of goes just in the one little hole. It doesn't have to go into all the little slots. Mm. Um, so they can compartmentalize things very easily. Mm. Um, but for women, everything we do is linked to everything else. Mm. And it's linked to the relationships and it's linked to our identity. And it's how, how do we create that space, like you said, to be able to differentiate and not be so involved in the work I'm doing and the relationships I have with people so that it puts a heavier burden on us. Mm. Yes, and I think we tend to want to take care of people and to keep people happy and to make people happy because that is part of being a woman and being a mother. That is your role in the family it comes naturally to you because you can pick up on people's feelings and, and all that. But in a business environment, that could be very dangerous to yourself to, to be like that. Um, and it was a very hard lesson for me lately as well to learn to just, when you employ people, you treat them fairly and you do the best you can, but you have to remember that they are employees and, and to keep that distance because also you need to make decisions that are best for the business because if yeah. the business fails, then everybody's you know, out on the street and you can't jeopardize the business or your own health and your own family's security for a single employee, for a single person. That person is here to do a job and you pay him to do that job. But he is not, he doesn't look at you as his parent. You know, you're his boss. And yeah. if the job doesn't work out, he will go and do another job. Um, but from our side as a, as a business owner, we feel responsible for those people. And I, I made a lot of decisions for my staff that was at my own cost and that was at the business's cost in the end. And I mean, they've gone on, they've moved on and they found other jobs and they don't even look back. Yeah. But I lost the business, you know, I lost the business and a lot of people lost their jobs because I made decisions wanting to protect people and to, and to take care of people, which was actually not supposed to be my job. 
yeah. I think that is part of because we are emotionally involved and we want to please people and we want to please our clients and we want them to say, oh, you're such a nice business and such a nice business owner. And it just becomes messy. And after the liquidation, one of the biggest things for me was not to take this failure as a personal failure, to, to separate it and to say, you know, the business failed, but you are not a failure. And other yeah. areas of your life are blossoming. It, it doesn't yeah. mean that you as a person are a failure. Your kids are fine. You have a great marriage. You're a great writer. People love your stories. It's just one, one thing that you, that you did that didn't work out. Yeah. And it reminds me of Carol Dweck, who speaks about growth mindset. And she says very clearly, when experience failure, it's important to say, I failed at something, but not I am a failure and actually differentiate because when you say I am a failure, it actually prevents you from learning and growing and even trying something else. Failure does teach you a lot. So being able to fail actually helps you build stepping stones towards your own development and to learning and growing. We spoke about hindsight. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. What do you know now that you didn't know before when you were going through this? Well, besides um, not making the business personal, I think when I started out fifteen years ago, I was I was very cocky and self confident. You know, I had this vision, and I didn't want to take advice, and I wanted to push this thing and do it my way, and I was always in such a hurry, <laughs> you know, something that, that could have waited maybe for tomorrow had to be done yesterday. And I really pushed myself. And especially when the business was doing well, it was such a, um, it was like a drug. You were always on this high and you wanted to do more and more. And I think that looking back, I, um, I tried to do too many things and I tried to do it too quickly and I try to do it to, to push it too big if that yeah. makes sense um, I think that there's definitely value in taking a breather and you know making room for life to come in and happen you know you yeah. you put a chess piece and life can put a chess piece but for you to just rush in there with everything besides that it is completely exhausting it's also you don't stop to look around you and to be aware of your environment and be aware of, like you said, the seasons um, mm. and to listen to what is going on out there. You know, just take, a, just take a step and take a moment and breathe and see what happens tomorrow. I, I remember when I was in the middle of this liquidation, just before I decided to liquidate the company, um, my husband and I went for lunch once. He's always feeding me, by the way, when things are rough. Like, <laughs> That's a great, great uh, talent to have. <laughs> to anything bad is let's eat it away. <laughs> it's better when you've eaten something. So he took me to lunch and I was, I was sitting there crying the whole time. And I said to him, I don't know what to do. I don't have any backup anymore. I don't have any finances or energy or... I'm just out of resources. And then he said to me, maybe you are at a crossroad now and you have to stop and put your bag down and wait and see from which direction something comes. 
instead of you rushing into the wilderness, you know, yeah. not knowing where you're going, stop and see, because maybe a car will come from that side, somebody will come from that side, but why don't you stop and wait and see what life brings your way? And I think that's, that's a very valuable business philosophy to it's almost like I have this picture in my head of going up steps, going up a staircase and you have a flashlight and you can only see the step in front of you. So when you get onto it, the flashlight moves on and reveals more, but you can't from where you now see three steps or four steps ahead and to pace yourself, take a step, see what happens. What happens? What does, what does life throw you away? What is the reaction um, that you get from taking this step what opportunities opens up and then you take the next one but to live more calculated and yeah patiently patiently yeah. and humbly and not just rushing always rushing to I just wanted to go so big <laughs> and now it's yeah. like why <laughs> why <laughs> do it like that there's something to be said for focus for doing that one thing that you do really well and yeah trying to do everything at the same time i really love that analogy personally i also feel that's how life evolves for me but i have to say a lot of times i'm so impatient i want to see the whole staircase don't just show me the next step i want to know where this is going and at the same time, it's also, we taught to plan. My brother, ever since I was growing up, he was always, what is your, what is your five-year plan? What is your 10-year plan? Drilled it into my head. And I came up with this plan myself. And then as life evolves, you realize this plan is nowhere near what is really happening. So there's this external noise that you learn to incorporate in your life, not just with your family but also externally with instagram and facebook where people are saying yeah life is here this is where you need to be to be successful mm -hmm. so sometimes when we're talking about finding your purpose and your passion a lot of times it's other people's noise that becomes your noise of this is what success is yes absolutely and you have to be quiet to listen and, and let the thing that is inside of you work itself out. Um, I love that scripture in the Bible that says your gift will make room for you. That's um, lovely. Because for me, that means if you do what is your gifting and what comes naturally to you and what feels right, then room, it will make room. You will get room for the next step. And then if you take that step, you will get room for the next one. Um, instead of you trying to force your way through and maybe ending up in places where you weren't supposed to end up. And I think you talk about um, having a goal. And <laughs> I started the business thinking this is where we're going to go. And this is where we're going to end up. And this is how I see the business in 40 years or whatever. And that's very presumptuous to do that because you don't have all the information. Mm. You don't know about COVID. <laughs> Why would you make a decision like that and commit to an end goal if you don't know what the journey is going to look like and what are you going to meet along the way? And you have to, it's good to have a general direction, 
but you have to leave room for life to happen. And if you find yourself in a place and you know you're not in the right place, you must have the freedom to change direction. And for me, yeah. I didn't have that freedom because I brought it on myself. I yeah. said, this is what I'm going to do. And now I can't go back. How's that going to look? And what are people going to say? <laughs> you know, I can't close the business. And um, you should never be in that position. You know, sometimes it takes a lot, a lot more guts to, to realize you're in the wrong place or on the wrong track and to make a direction change than it is yeah. to just keep carrying on. And I love what you're saying right now because this is something that leaders really need right now this year. And actually, we've been talking about it for a long time because in companies or generally you plan your long-term goal what is your strategy what is your vision but life doesn't happen that way so one of the key things that's happening for leadership development now is about how are you able to adapt to change but also how do you deal with ambiguous and uncertain situations and volatile situations mm -hmm. uh, complex situations so really as life evolves that you have to be able to take a space every now and then and say, what do we do now? Because it's this set of circumstances that we did not expect that has offered us opportunities for learning, but also has offered us some challenges. So mm -hmm. what do we need to do in this space? Mm -hmm. And how do we shift our focus when we're at a crossroad? Which turn do we take? Mm -hmm. And that is something critical that I have been speaking to leaders about is creating that space. So the reflection in between and I think failure teaches us so much like I mentioned because it's that heat experience where it's uncomfortable where you find out things where you learn certain things that you didn't know and it's that set of tools that you have that you need to look at and say okay so now I have this what, how does life look different for me or how do I go forward differently so it's such a beautiful way that you've said it so to reevaluate um, where you're at every now and then. Um, yeah. I know it's difficult because I know, if, especially if you fought so hard for something, you don't want to hear that it's not working. And you don't want to yeah. admit that it's not working. You keep pressing on because you fought so hard for this, you know. And, and in the end, it's just so self-damaging. And I think you, you do yourself such, such an injustice because you have to be allowed to change your mind. And I have yeah. two daughters and that's something that I really try to teach them. It's okay to change your mind. You know, life teaches us that you have to stick to something and you have to make it work. And you know, that's admirable. But I really think that if you're not in the right place, you have to have the freedom and allow yourself the freedom to say, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I need to change direction. And that that is okay. And that's being authentic, being an authentic leader, to be able to say, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I need to change direction rather than keep pushing to try and prove a point to someone. Most of the time, I think yourself. I think it's yeah. pride. Pride has a lot to do with it and not wanting to give up and not wanting to let people down. But um, I do believe in seasons and I do believe that 
I don't think that I was wrong starting the business. I learned a lot and I got a lot of experience on how the publishing industry works and I build a brand for myself. People know who I am. So that's all stepping stones that I'm going to use going forward. That's not gone to waste. But there was definitely a season for the business and there was a season change and I wasn't, I wasn't in a place where I was prepared to make that change. I tried to keep working this thing and I worked it to the point of literally death (laughs) (laughs) anymore. And I think that's one of the things that I feel at the moment is such a relief to do new things and to actually see them grow and to feel growth and life where for such a long time, I just saw stuff die. Mm. So that's, that's a, that's a breather for me. It's such a relief. This podcast is brought to you by dynamicatwork.com. Head over to our website for more information and resources. Dynamic at work. We connect and grow leaders. If there's one piece of advice you would give your younger self, what would that be? Definitely make room for life to come in and take part in what you are creating. Instead of you creating the whole thing, um, put put something down, let life put something down, you know? Yeah. don't don't picture the complete end product, but know the general direction, but be lenient so that you can make changes and adapt when things happen. And then also the other thing is to trust your to trust the roadmap that is inside of you. Because I do believe that that all of us are born with a passion, we're born with talents, we're born with a personality and with a purpose. And it wasn't a mistake that you were born with who you are, being who you are, your likes and your dislikes and your interests. At this time, being alive in 2020, being surrounded by the electronic age or whatever, none of that was a coincidence or a mistake. So everything that you need to navigate through your life and to bring solutions to your environment was invested in you. You were born you know, you were like a little starter kid when you were born and you had everything already in you that you were going to need. And from the moment we are born, we just taught to make the clever decisions and make the logical decisions and the right decisions. And, and we almost thought to ignore that, that voice inside of you and that roadmap inside of you. And then sooner or later, we find ourselves losing our way Um, and not having a sense of purpose. And that's why I think we have such a big problem with depression and suicides because people don't, they're not alive. They're living somebody else's idea of what they should be. And they're not living the life that they were designed to live. So I I definitely would tell myself to trust that, that gut instinct inside of you to trust the things that comes natural to you and to feel that that feels natural. Yeah. And let that lead you. You can, you can bring logic and wisdom and experience, but that must never replace 
your authenticity and and your gut that tells you what feels right to you in this moment yeah and really just sing your own heart song out and when we first met uh, years ago we were having coffee i had just left corporate i was trying to find my my rhythm in terms of what i need to do and I remember you used to say quite a lot that you couldn't wait for Mondays because Mondays you get to get back to work and write your stories. So in one way, you were weird, <laughs> if I can say that. You were different from a lot of people I, I got to know or a lot of people I meet because you couldn't wait to get to work on Mondays. And then you said something to me that was quite controversial, which horrified me the first time you said it. You told me, go watch a movie in the middle of the week, in the middle of a work day. And I remember being quiet, but I was screaming internally going, it's in the middle of a work week. And I was horrified. And it took me many years before I was able to do it. And the first time I did it, I was very guilty. The whole time I was sitting on the edge of my seat in the movie theater saying, I should be doing something else. And yet you embrace that unique way of seeing things of this is the rhythm that I want to live my life where I define my life differently so I don't really have to work nine to five and I cannot go to the movies in the middle of the work week because that actually just inspires you and it, it helps you to be more creative yeah. so I don't know if you even knew that <laughs> I reacted that way <laughs> yeah so I, I love that you, you follow the rhythm that works for you and that you have that passion to wake up on a Monday morning and really be inspired to do what you do. Mm. And there's a lot of people that don't love Mondays. So what would you say to them to help them bring that passion and that, that inspiration to their lives again? I think you have to start living more consciously and and aware of your your own reactions to to certain things that happen like how does how does it how does certain situations and certain things make you feel um do you feel depleted afterwards do you feel fulfilled afterwards um evaluate yourself con constantly and stop at the end of the day and ask yourself you know what was my favorite part of this day and why um yeah which part of the day did i dread and and why um so that you can learn you can get to know yourself get to see where your heart is pulling towards and i'm not saying you know go quit your job i'm not saying that i'm saying that if you know what you like and you know what makes you feel alive um, and what's fulfilling to you, you can make small changes and incorporate that into your life by making little tweaks. Um, maybe that one thing that you love, instead of doing it once a week, do twice a week or bring in another version of it or even if it's just reading. Because if you do something small and you just take that first step, then the next step will be revealed. So by bringing that into your life, it will lead you to the next thing. And also, I think it's important to negotiate that time with your family and with your coworkers because often women know what they want, but they feel too guilty to ask for it or, or they say, 
um, you know, my husband will never be okay with this or what are my kids going to do? But that's why you have to start with small adjustments and sit them down. Let's say you love jogging and it really clears your head and it makes you feel great. Sit down with your husband and tell him, listen, I can cope better with the kids and with business if I just run twice a week or three times a week. So can we negotiate, you know, can you help yeah. me? Where can I take the time? And you teach your family by speaking up for yourself and making small adjustments to make room for you. I remember a few years ago, I started boxing and I actually, it was research for a book because I had this one character who was a boxer. I went for a boxing lesson and I just simply loved it. And I wanted to do it again. And I knew my husband was going to frown upon it. So I kind of, you know, negotiated with him that I could go once a week. And then he said, he started to see how positive it influenced me and how great it made me feel. And that would be a good day for the whole family mom in boxing because I was a better mom and I was more patient and I renegotiated and I said, well, can I do it twice a week or, but you have to start small and, and negotiate and let them see the fruits of it. Let your family and the people around you see, okay, well, wow, we, this didn't go the way we expected and it's actually a positive thing. And then you renegotiate. Don't dump the whole bag of potatoes on them at the same time, but make those small adjustments. Put the things that you love and that you're passionate about back into your life. So I actually just had a conversation with a client of mine on finding the things you love and making space again. And I find it so often with clients that I work with, more for females, that a lot of them feel that it's too much to us to create the space. But it's really about how do you show up when you've had that space to do the things you love? Because you show up as a more kinder, compassionate, excited, patient, whatever it is, but you've got that space. You're coming from a a good place because you've been able to create some space for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it quite a lot with women because they say, Oh, if I go exercise, then I'm not spending time with my kids mm -hmm. or I'm a bad mother because I'm not spending time with my kids. Mm -hmm. Women have all these different balls that they're juggling mm -hmm. and it's how can you be able to grapple with failure? Because the more you juggle, the, the sooner something's going to fall it's just not possible for you to be everything to everyone. And it's also how do you show up as a more authentic leader when you've actually spent some time for yourself, you've been able to create some space to say, what are those things that are important to me? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and who am I when I've had that space? So it's quite an important thing to do. And I love that you're saying it's just the small tweaks make some small tweaks over a period of time yeah the point is to steer the ship and the ship doesn't turn quickly you know you turn the wheel and slowly 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 changes direction so for now it might feel small but in two years time looking back you're going to be in a completely different place because of a small change that you made today it steers you eventually in a completely different direction by just making a small adjustment.
And it's a great analogy because if you try to turn the ship really quickly, it's definitely going to capsize. So that's not good. <laughs> so we spoke a few times before and you mentioned previously about writing stories because it gives you joy and it's also about what you bring into the world. So I'm curious about that journey, especially now, you know, people do want something hopeful and something to look forward to that can help them get away from all the bad news. How does that help you to write and what are you hoping to achieve with that? You know, when I went through this liquidation process, I was so in such a bad place and I actually had post-traumatic stress symptoms and I didn't want to get up in the morning and um, I just wanted to do something again that was fun. For, for such a long time, I've been doing things for money and for deadlines and for um, budgets and planning and even my writing, it was always, you know, what am I going to write that's going to sell that we can make money and I just wanted to do something again that was fun. And um, the writing is always a place where I feel most confident. It's a confident booster for me because it's something I do really well. And I know I do that really well. Um, I always feel good <laughs> when I've written. So after this hard liquidation and we were in lockdown, I asked myself and I said, when was the last time that writing was fun? And I remembered when I was 12 years old or 13 years old, I was in school. And I wrote this series of stories. I, I used to steal those A5 notebooks out of the classroom. <laughs> and I used to write out testing. I used to steal it from the cupboard and I would write by hand. I would write stories in it. And it was a series of almost like a Netflix series. Every episode about this action hero and his girlfriend, a lot of trashy <laughs> stories, <laughs> romance and action and murder and bad guys and all that. Um, but it was so much fun. And every, every episode, every book ended kind of on a cliffhanger. And I numbered them. And I think there was about 22 of those booklets in the end. And all the kids in the school were reading it and they were passing it out. And we had to draw up a whole system to keep track of who's got which edition, you know, number four is with that guy and number five is with that guy. And also when the new <laughs> one comes out, who's going to get it first? There was like a whole waiting list. So you had your own library then. <laughs> and these kids were so, it was so much fun. They ended up doing my homework for me just so that I could, carry on writing because they wanted to see what was going to happen and I remembered that and I remember it wasn't for trying to make money or esteem it was entertainment it was fun yeah. and I wanted to do something like that again so I started writing this series of novelettes um, during lockdown um, it's an Afrikaans but it's short stories and then a series as well similar to that story in school and everyone ends in a cliffhanger so people would want to carry on reading and it was so much fun and people really I put the first one up for free on Kobo and we had like almost 10,000 downloads within a few days wow and I was so surprised at the feedback because people would write me and say you know what this you made me forget about my circumstances and you made me remember how much I used to love reading and things like that. And I was so surprised because I actually just did it for me. <laughs> so to cheer myself up, I never realized that it would do the same for the people reading it. And I just realized again, the value of creating joy 
my husband and I were at the shopping mall the other day and I said to him, there's such an atmosphere of sadness at the moment. Like the world is sad. Everybody, it's not even angry anymore. People are just so sad. And the only counter for that is joy. People are going to have to come and put joy back into the world. And that is going to have to be the artists, the musicians, and, you know, the authors. We are going to have to create joy again in these people's lives. And that's what I want to do with my writing. I don't want to write books that are going to get literary prizes and, you know, impress the academics and things like that. I just want to bring joy. I just want to put joy back into people's lives and make them remember how they used to love to read. Reading for me is therapy. It's like a foot massage for the mind. <laughs> and if you finish a good book, you must feel better than when you started it. And, you know, when yeah. we watch series or movies or things, your, your mind can still wander back to work and other things. But when you read a book, you have to shut down. You have to concentrate. So 100% of your brain goes into the book. And then when you put it down, it's like you've been somewhere else. <laughs> it was a yeah. really of your mind and your stress levels and everything and I think that's so important that's so therapeutic no other medium on earth gives you that there's two things that come to mind when you say that the one is the saying who were you before the world told you who you should be mm-hmm. so really coming back to your purpose and being authentic and the second thing is why blend in when you were born to stand out And I think even linked to that is when you call to your purpose and when you're true to your purpose and doing something that you love and you have passion, is this, how does it show up in the world? What is the gift that you bring to other people? It's really great to hear your story. So we're almost out of time, but I want to ask a couple quick fire questions for you just to get to know you a little bit more. So the first question is, what book are you reading right now? Now I'm at the moment not reading anything because I'm writing. And when I'm writing, I don't read other books. But in between, I love to quickly read a book or two um, just to feed myself again with stories. But I've read this this amazing book it's called the 10,000 doors of January by Alex Harrow it is the most amazing book ever (laughs) it was (laughs) such an experience Um, and it's one of those books that you know when you put it down you feel so nourished and you feel so full it's really a book that that leaves you feeling so much better it's such a positive book it's an amazing story Okay, sold. I'm ordering that book next. The 10,000 Doors of January. Great. So the second question, what's your all-time favorite movie? I think I have two that that keeps like coming back into my life. And the one is The the Legend of Bag of Vans that you talked about earlier this week. It's a Robert Redford movie. Beautiful, beautiful, inspirational story. The second movie is The Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. I don't know oh. if you've seen it with um, yeah. Jim Carrey and Ted Winslet. That is one of those movies that I can just watch over and over and over again. And it's, it's this whole theme about if you knew 
about the bad stuff that was going to happen, would you have done it? Um, would you have gone into this relationship? Would you have started this business? Would you have gone down this path if you knew how hard and difficult it was going to be? Um, and I love what the movie says about it because the movie says yes. <laughs> That's a great movie as well. Yeah. Wow. Who's your go-to person for support? Um, it depends on what I'm struggling with because I go to different people for different things. I have a, a wonderful life coach that I've been seeing for years. So if it's anything business or money or just vision orientated, then I would go to him. If I want an honest opinion on anything, I go to my husband because he's very critical, but he's very honest and he knows me very well. He can always see the flaws in anything. <laughs> be, I have to be in a good place. <laughs> and then I have my, my girlfriends, my, my sister and my female friends that I just go to if I just feel like I need a little pick-me-up and some me time and some TLC, you know. Yeah. Speaking of TLC, what is your never-fail self-care routine? Oh, that must be boxing. That must be boxing. You know, if I if I skipped a week and I didn't do boxing, I become this monster. <laughs> like the kids will say, Mom, when are you gonna go box again? <laughs> Everybody. I've got all this bold up aggression. But if I've had a boxing session half an hour, I am the most wonderful person to be around with. I am so yeah. loving and patient. <laughs> I love jokes it's really therapeutic and it just gets rid of all the junk and I love it I love every single minute of it it resonates with something inside of me yeah and that's usually me after a run so last question firstly if there is one dream what would it be that you still want to achieve that's a question I get asked a lot and I think my answer has always been the same that I just want to be, by the time that I'm done with this life, I want to be done. I don't want <laughs> to be anything left in me that I didn't live out. Any stories that I didn't write, risks that I didn't take, things that I didn't say. I would love to die one day, spent, <laughs> and just having written all my stories. I don't have to be rich or, or famous or anything. I just want to have written all the stories that was inside of me. Amazing. What a wonderful way to end the podcast. And I will put your details up, of course. So if people want to read the, the books that you've written in English, they can follow you. But thank you for joining for the conversation. I loved it as always. It's like a coffee session but recorded. <laughs> Thank you. It was so much fun speaking to you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us this week on Women's Work. If you found value in this conversation, share with a friend. Remember to click on the subscribe button to make sure you never miss an episode. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by dynamicatwork.com. Head over to our website for more information and resources. Dynamic at Work. 
we connect and grow leaders.